Hey guys, Pastor Matt Chandler here. Uh, one of the themes that comes out in The Overcomers over and over and over again is the centrality of God's word to encourage and build up his saints. It's why I love uh, Dwell Bible app. It's an app for listening. Uh, I, I kind of use it in the margins of my day. I like to listen to, depending on my mood, uh, Mark or Felix throw on some ambient music and then in my truck or in my study or uh, in a few minutes between this meeting going into that, soak again in the word of God. Uh, they, they've given us kind of an awesome deal here for a yearly subscription. If you go to dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, they're giving us 25% off an annual subscription. So if you're looking for more Bible in your life, in the margins of your life, not just kind of traditionally listening, but listening while you work, listening while you drive. I couldn't recommend the Dwell Bible app more highly. He came home and he was kind of withdrawn once he got home. I'm kind of nudging him, are you okay? What's going on? I'm fine, I'm fine, okay. And then just kind of out of nowhere that afternoon, he said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And I was like, what happened? Well, hey, welcome back to The Overcomers. I'm sitting here with some old friends, like decades old, mm. I guess at this point, and Josh and Dominique Durden. And we call her Dom. Is that, yeah. we can do that on the <laughs> yeah, podcast? You're I mean, that's what I normally call you. You're but allowed. I didn't, I, since it's more public facing, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, man, I, I wanted, I mean, I mean, you guys know why I wanted you to come on. Just got to see a profound work of God in a really messy marriage. And I thought, Man, people, it would help people to hear this story, really for all the highs and lows of it. And so well, why don't we start here? Um, why don't you talk to us about how you met and and then kind of progress us to maybe getting married? And then maybe I'll have some follow-up questions there. So I was actually working in a bar as a bartender, working through college, and um Back then, it wasn't really cool to meet people on the internet, but Josh like slid into my private messages on Facebook. Okay. Um, but game. we had mutual friends, right. so I felt like it was less creepy. Okay. Um, so, it doesn't sound less creepy, no, but go it was, ahead. I mean, it was, yeah, it was what it was. But uh, so the manager of the bar and he, and Josh were friends. So, um, But Josh was actually working overseas at the time. So he would be out of country for like three months and home for a month. So really, we just talked on Facebook and talked on the phone for a couple months. Um, I actually thought that he was kind of not serious. Like I thought he would probably come home and I'd never see him. Yeah. But he was supposed to come home for the summer, for like a month in the summer, and uh, ended up getting injured in Afghanistan. So the first time I met Josh in person uh, was at DFW Airport, picking him up in a wheelchair. Okay. Yeah, that was a wheelchair that she picked up on Craigslist on the way to come pick me up for the first time. We had never met in person. Um, and so a lot of people, as we've told our story over the years, said, well, man, you had to have known right then, like, 
she went to Craigslist, some stranger's house, and avoided being kidnapped and picked up this wheelchair. You know, you had to know she yeah, was a good to, one. To meet another stranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she I mean, everything about this story so far is like a case study. I'm like, hey, guys, don't do this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You, you hear about this on the, uh, in, in, what is it, the IG network that That's she right. works on all the time That's about, right. like, this is how the story started, mm-hmm. and then it ends with a yeah. murder. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had been in Afghanistan contracting for a number of years already. At that point, I guess that was probably about year four or five for me. Um, so I was in Afghanistan. Uh, you have a lot of free time on your hands there. So I was uh, perusing the Internet. I was trailblazing what is now the online dating game, I okay. guess. And so, um, you know, I, I, the day before I was supposed to come home, We'd already kind of planned to meet and get together, um, and I actually crashed a dirt bike um, at an excessive amount of speed and broke my arm and my leg the day before I was supposed to come home. Okay. Um, they wanted to care flight me into Germany, and I was like, "Hi, nah, guys, I, I've got a date planned. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to go home. And so I signed myself out of the hospital, and a couple of buddies helped me get on a commercial flight. Um, back to the U.S., and that's where she came and picked me up. And I said, I think I texted her, hey, you know, I'm still coming home, but the vacation may look a little different because I'm <laughs> going to have to have surgery, yeah. like, immediately. Um, so, yeah, that was our – that was how we met uh, initially was just by talking online and then finally met in person after the injury. Yeah, and we were pretty hot and heavy. I think we moved okay. in together um, – um, two weeks later or something. I quit my job to stay and take care of him because he was wheelchair bound. Um, And that took a little convincing of him being like, I'll pay for everything. It's fine. And I mean, yes, every girl wants to hear that. But at the same time, I was like, I don't even know this guy. (laughs) Um, So really it was hot and heavy. And he was home for, I think, three months, four months uh, before he was healed enough to go back to work. So we spent those first three months, really every single day, all day together. Um, And then he left to go back overseas. And that's when the rockiness began. Like, was there any religious background, relationship with the Lord in either of your lives at that point? Sure. So I had just come out of a really abusive, physically uh, and mentally abusive relationship um, about six months before we met. And so I was kind of on my track, on the track, trying to get back to Jesus. I had kind of known him a little bit as a teenager. Um, I think I was saved. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so I was broken and knew I needed that. And so in the initial, especially the online chat, there was talk of God and are you a Christian and what do you, um, but I would say very surface level. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, my early childhood was... Uh, full of church. I was raised by my grandparents who were very, very involved in the church. Um, I didn't get saved until I was 15 at a summer camp, um, which back in the day, everybody was getting saved at summer camp. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They'll baptize you right there in the lake mm-hmm. while we're here. Um, and and I was really on fire for the Lord, I think, up until about probably my senior year of high school. And then it just kind of became disconnected. Um, I was living my own life, working instead of going to church, and um, anything, everything else was more important to me at that point. And then, fast forward into the military, and then even further down the line, I just it, there were moments. Right, um, I always say that my relationship with the Lord during my time in Iraq and Afghanistan 
was a series of 30-second prayers, hoping that he would bail me out of a situation that I was in that I felt like I might not survive. Okay. Um, you know, and the prayer always was the same, right? Like, Lord, I, I promise you just get me through this one and I I will devote my life to you and and I will change for the better, right? This will be the last time you ever hear this prayer, the last time again, right? Yeah. So that's funny you say that there was talk about it. I don't remember us talking about it, but you know, I sure maybe it just missed my we did not neither one of us were really pursuing the Lord at all at that point, I would say actively. Okay. Yeah. So you you move in for like a month of a summer or a couple of months, oh, I guess because of the surgery, several mm-hmm. months. Yeah. And then you go back to contracting. So you head back over and then, but you're not married. You're just kind of together. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we go from like back, back to contracting? You're, you're still here. He's paying for everything and, and things are rocky, but you get married. Yeah. Uh, so I think we broke up and got back together a few times in there basically because he would leave and I would get lonely and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to wait around for you um, and pack my stuff. Or um, Plus when he came home, every time he came home, it was just a party. So for a month straight, we just drank and partied and did nothing responsible. Um, So really we had kind of had that going on for two years, I guess. And finally, I say finally, eventually, uh, he came home for Christmas, I think about two years in, and proposed. I think if you combine all of the months that we even were together, you know, it was the window of time that we had actually spent living together was less than eight months. Okay. So, um, man, did we find out the hard way that we both had been living very independent lives. Yeah. Like contracting, I literally relied on no one else for anything every day over there. It was just, I lived in my world and managed my, um, my tasks for the day. And those were, you know, structured by somebody above me, but I I just, we, you know, I didn't deal with other people, lived in a room by myself, went to lunch by myself. I was very isolated. Um, and then same for her. I mean, she lived in that house of ours which, you know, is difficult anyway. Like you have stuff around you that's reminding you of this person all the time, but they're never there. So yeah. um, I can imagine that that was, that weighed heavy too. Yeah. Yeah. So he proposed in December and left to go back overseas a couple weeks later. And then February, I found out I was pregnant. Okay. So being so as... Increase the complexity. Yes. But being as prideful as I am, I said, well, I'm not getting married while I'm pregnant. So, so we actually didn't get married uh, until the following year. Our daughter was 10 months old when we got married. So in that time, he had come home to stay. So he moved home to stay, stopped contracting when I was eight months pregnant. Okay. So he came home to a crazy person. I mean, hormonal and 50 pounds heavier than when he left. And yeah, to say that I was a control freak would be an understatement. Okay. I just wanted to be in control of everything at all times. And so he came home and had to kind of not only adjust from being overseas and all his own, you know, trauma that he had experienced, but also come home to this um, kind of unwelcoming place. So he, uh, for about a year, I guess, our daughter was born in October and we were married the following August. So for that time, it was... um, 
let's make this work. Let's pretend that everything's fine. Sure. Let's be this family we're supposed to be. Yeah, it was a it was definitely a very unique trying time. Um, not just in that aspect because I didn't really know who I wanted to be yeah. at that point. For the last 10 years, essentially, I had carried a gun for my job and, and I was, you know, in the middle of a foreign country with people that didn't speak my language. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, everyone's like, well, you should just transition into a cop. Well, it wasn't that easy. Um, there was a lot of um, roadblocks for that. And then also... Um, I just didn't know if that, if that fit, if I fit the mold for that. And so, um, you know, I can remember us sitting down and talking about like, what, what am I going to do? We had a plan to, we had an exit strategy for me to come home from contracting, but I think the exit strategy ended for the day that I got home. Like I knew how I was going to get out of there. I had no idea what I was going to do next. And so, uh, you know, when you don't, when you're not confident in who you are, and you don't, um, you don't really have any direction for that. Yeah, I think you lose confidence in yourself altogether. Anyway, so I was struggling with a lot of my own stuff, and at the same time, um, you know, she was. Yeah, she. We were new parents. Yeah. We didn't have a clue, and so it was uh, to say that it was stressful in our home. Um, you know, there there's times when I've <clears throat> listened to your story, and you'd be like, you know not sugarcoating it, it was absolutely brutal to be in the house. Yeah. And that was that was the situation for us. And so instead of resolving that like I should have sought out to, I knew it was going to be brutal at home. I just didn't come home. Sure. I would find any excuse to be out of the house. Um, <clears throat> luckily, I did. So I worked like a manual labor job, right. uh, which was this was kind of a first for me. Um, right after I got home, and it was like one of those ten to twelve hour days working in the outside as hard as you can imagine working five days, six days a week. Yeah. And so, uh, looking back, maybe I should have just kept that job because it kept. There was <laughs> oh no gosh. time in my mind for me to do anything. You know, I was just beat down every day from that job, and so I did that. I guess for almost a year. And then um, I was fortunate enough to get a job in the industry that I'm in now. It was a very low-level job sure. at the time, but um, it afforded me a lot more free time. Well, with that free time, you know, instead of going home, I would do anything else. I would go play golf. I would go to the bar. I would go anywhere other than home. And so, um, you know, it was just I didn't want to be there because I knew there was going to be a fight for something. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, didn't really know that that's what he was doing. I just thought he still worked a lot. And I look back and I wonder, was I naive or was I trying to not know? I'm not, I'm not really sure. But I definitely, I knew things weren't great. I didn't know that it was as bad as it was. Okay. Um, and I was also, you know, taking care of an infant. So that can make things a little crazy yeah. too. Um, but so we planned our wedding, a destination wedding in Costa Rica, um, and just invited uh, his best friend and my parents and my sister. 
and we all fly down to Costa Rica. We take the baby with us, and we're, we're getting married. And the day before the wedding, I pick up Josh's phone at the pool, and it's a text from a girl. I say girl because I feel like she was like 18 years old. Maybe she was 20. She was super young. She looked like a girl to me, not even a woman. Um, and it's a message from her. I don't remember exactly what it said. Something that let me know that they were in a relationship. Okay. And so then I scroll and read quite a few more messages. Um, and again, Josh is in the pool. I'm sitting beside it. My parents are there. Our baby's playing in the water. And I just turned the phone off and set it back down and kept sitting there and didn't say anything to anybody. Um, And then when Josh and I were alone that evening, I confronted him saying, I saw what was on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the feeling that day. um, And I've told this story when when I do, uh, when we do our testimony, that I... I guess I had started forming a relationship with this with this other woman um, probably about a month before the wedding. And I think I was just absolutely freaking out about the thought of marriage at this point. Yeah. And so I was going to this bar every day, meet this girl, and I'm I'm messaging her, and it became <clears throat> at that point it was just messaging every day pretty much. Um, an emotional escape for me, if you will. Um, and then it just kept progressing. You know, it, it's a very slippery slope. And so that day that she confronted me about it, I, I've told people before, you know, it's it's like a weight was lifted off of me because I was like, yes, everything that you saw is true. I'm not, I don't want to get married. I'm not here to get married. I, I want out. And so it's like, oh, well, you lifted that, you let that weight go, right? But where did I dump it? Yeah. You know, straight onto her. And so um, I see that now, you know, in, in, in retrospect, there's a lot that um, I just can't believe that I did in sure. the moment. Um, so the next day, I... We were in Costa Rica, and she told you the list of people that was there, and I did not want to be there with them yeah. because I knew that she was about to open Pandora's box. Okay, but I didn't. I didn't that day. So so we got married. <laughs> we got married yeah. still. So I yeah. find this out the day yeah. before. Yeah. But like I said, I'm such a control freak that I'm like, oh, no, we're still getting married. Oh, this is happening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're still getting married, <laughs> right? Because what's the other option? The other no. option is... Yeah. Tell everyone and be embarrassed and I no yeah, way. no we're way good. we're getting that married. wasn't happening. That's the plan. So we got married. Yeah. So then the next day and we pretended everything was fine. We put on these smiles, we took the pictures, like, oh yeah, we're so happy. And then the next day I woke up and he was gone. Okay. Pictures are hard to look at sometimes for yeah. me. Um, I just see a lost guy, man. Yeah. And I see a hurt woman mm-hmm. in those pictures because we both knew. Yeah. And no one else did. And so um, the next morning, about 6 a.m., I'm out to the airport by myself. 
and on a plane back to Dallas. And I tried to wake my best friend up, and he had had quite the party that night okay. before, and he was like, I'm not leaving Costa Rica. This yeah. is amazing. Um, good luck. And so uh, I bailed out on my family and on my responsibilities and on the marriage that we had just tried to force into yeah. action. Um, flew back to Dallas, and then within a few days, I was full-blown into the affair that I had started before okay. um, I left. Yeah, so I out him to everybody, obviously, at the wedding, and um, they care for me the best they can, but really I just took a lot of Xanax and drank a lot of alcohol and let someone else take care of my baby and kind of numbed all the pain that I was feeling. Yeah. And then when it was time to come home, I basically came home to no home. Yeah. I had no job. He had moved his girlfriend into our house. Uh, he had already, no, I filed for divorce. Yeah, I filed for divorce. Um, he actually hired a lawyer and was trying to get an annulment. And uh, things just got really ugly. Yeah. yeah, we treated each other horribly. Horribly. I was so hurt that anything that came out of my mouth towards him was anger and rage. Yeah. I was determined to keep our daughter away from him. This was going to be my child. He didn't want to have a family with me. He wasn't going to have a family. Yeah. I was, um, yeah, I was a monster. One of the one of the ways we're able to bring these stories to you is by partnering with organizations that I've grown to trust and appreciate and love over the last couple of years. Uh, Dwell, the Dwell Bible app, if you followed my ministry, you know I've mentioned it before. It's just one of my favorite tools, like in my own devotional life, my own study life, uh, to find more ways um, to hear the Word of God, to absorb the Word of God, to have the Word of God top of mind for me. Uh, and so I've used it devotionally. Uh, I've used it in regards to just, uh, I'm, I'm currently studying the book of Daniel. And so all day today, I've had the, the Daniel read by Mark with ambient music in the background playing on my phone in my truck uh, as I, you know, uh, walked outside a little bit earlier this morning, just finding ways um, to have the Word of God um, absorbing into my system and, and the, the design, the, the beauty of the app, uh, the various kinds of music that can play under, uh, the accents that can go to. There are so many aspects of the app that could serve to stir your affections for Jesus, depending on preference and desire. Dwell is offering listeners of The Overcomers 25% off a yearly subscription. All you have to do is visit dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, or you can click the link in the show notes to receive the discount. It was tough. Um, and everything that she says is as accurate as it can be. I mean, it, it just, I was spiraling. Yeah. And um, it was back then when I heard the statement for the first time that no one can hurt you with their words as much as your spouse. It's 100% true. And, uh, man, when, yeah, there was not. We went from uh, very, very cordial to, like, if she saw me in traffic, she would try to run me off the road. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I, I don't blame her at all. Um, and at that point, um, you know, there was a few people in my life. We were not plugged in at a church. Sure. Um, there were a few people in my life that are like, hey, bro, um, what's going on? You know, and I think that more or less they wanted just to hear the drama. Sure. Not, hey, can I care for you or your family? It was just they wanted that they're like, I heard a rumor. Yeah. And I need to know if this is true, uh, because if so, holy cow. Um, And so that was kind of where we were at. We didn't have any community. She had her family. Yeah. Um, Like she said, though, they didn't really know how to care for her. They were just allowing her to just do whatever felt good. Yeah. And and I had a few friends, but these these friends were not guys that were going to point me to the Lord or point yeah. me even back to my family. They were like, okay, you're back single. So yeah. when are we going out? Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, like I said, I filed for divorce and I uh, took what little money he would throw my way and went and got a little duplex for me and my daughter and was kind of job hunting. Um, at the time I had a master's degree, but I had never worked yeah. before. So was kind of looking for a job and living, you know, alone for the first time ever in my entire life. (laughs) I mean, alone, but with a baby. Um, And really had zero interest in getting back with him. I mean, really just in my heart thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'll find somebody better than him. I'll find somebody that'll take take better care of me and not, this will never happen to me again. And I definitely was one of those women that's like, oh, I would never forgive a man that did X, Y, or Z, whatever it was, right? But yet here I was, I had already been in an abusive relationship, which said I'd never do. And then here I was, you know, with a husband that had an affair, which they said I would never do. And um, of course, I'm blasting it all over Facebook, right? All over social media, what a piece of crap he is. And can you believe what he's done to me? And um, just dragging him through the mud. And Someone that I went to high school with, I wasn't even friends with in high school, just happened to go to the same high school, sent me a private message and said, hey, I think I know what you're going through if you want to talk about it. Okay. And I was like, how dare she think she knows what I'm going through and want to talk to me, right? Like, how dare she? But it ate at me for days. Like, why why does she want to talk to me? Mm -hmm. And so finally I messaged her back and um, she just said, my husband had an affair on me and we survived it and we're awesome. Okay. And that was the first time I had heard that. Everything else I had heard was like, F him and you don't need him anymore and he doesn't deserve you anyways. So it was just strange, I think, to me. Um, And she ended up getting me in contact with another woman, uh, basically the woman that had mentored her through her reconciliation. And I think just out of morbid curiosity, I wanted to hear more. Um, And I realized now that was the Lord kind of (laughs) pursuing me. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) laying down the little breadcrumbs for me to follow, right? But um, it was literally a pivotal moment in my life of someone just reaching out and saying, hey, you're not alone. Yeah. And there's hope, right? Yeah. Like that, I, I couldn't even, that wasn't in my wheelhouse that there was hope beyond this yeah. for, for that marriage. Um, 
So we had attended the village a few times, not regularly, um, but attended. And so once this woman kind of told me that, you know, her church is what really helped her, I just got on the village website and looked to see if they had anything for marriages. And they did. Recovery. And uh, I can remember, I was like, okay, I'm going to go give it a try. Like, what do I have to lose, right? Like, my life is already a dumpster fire. What do I have to lose by walking into church? But I text Josh and told him, hey, I'm going to this thing at the village on Wednesday night, um, and I'm taking our daughter with me. If you want to go, you can come. So almost as like, you can see your daughter for an extra 10 minutes or something if you go. And I thought for sure he'd be like, no. (laughs) But... Now hearing it, I'm like, you know, like it wasn't the 10 minutes. That I, I used to think that that was the reason why I did say, yes, I'll go. I think I was probably really just curious why you were trying to contact me because other than um, sending me like hateful messages about how I ruined her life, we didn't have a lot of, yeah, we didn't have a lot of common ground yeah. at that point. And so, um, but yeah, she did. She said, Hey, I'm going to the village. Um, do you want to go at Presley? You know, I'm taking Presley. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll come check it out. And, uh, Michael Snetzer was still leading, come um, on. recovery back then. Yeah. Um, Jason Holloman was involved as well, but, um, yeah, I remember coming in and, uh, our first night, was it Aaron and Jill or was it uh, Lee and Phil at that point? I don't remember the I first remember night. Either. I think it was Aaron and Jill the very first night. They, they're they on this season of The Overcomers. Right, their whole story, <laughs> right. So. Yep. And they were our leaders in fun. recovery. They were, they were the group leaders the first night we came in. And I remember like looking at Aaron and being like, I, I really have a lot of respect for this guy. I don't know why. I just yeah. like the how honest he was. And he started telling his testimony about, you know, losing his career and all this crazy stuff that happened to them. And and there was probably about eight or nine or ten couples in the room with us, and everybody had kind of their own, you know. I was not willing to share a whole bunch, and she was willing to share everything wrong <laughs> that I had ever done to her. Yeah. Uh, I continued everyone. airing it. I did. And uh, I was like, This oh, is the reason is, I'm here. This is guy. This, is this what this is going to be like, you know? And I remember Aaron just cutting it off and being like, You know, yeah, I understand. And and we're going to work through that. But yeah. um, some of that's not helpful, you know? And so. But just hearing their story, it, I remember sitting in the car. We rode separately, obviously. And uh, I sat in the car that night and I thought, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Like if they could if they could pull through it, yeah, maybe we could. Because I was like, man, I don't feel like, I think I might even text you that like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> their testimony is crazy, you know. And so, um yeah, that, I think that was, for me at least, that was the first moment of hope that I had okay. that there was a chance that our marriage could survive all that it had been through up to that point. Okay. Yeah, so it uh, it was kind of a slow roll from there. Uh, we would go to recovery every Wednesday, and then I was going to service on the weekends. I think you were too. We just didn't go together. Yeah. Um, but really the Lord just pursuing my heart heavily, like hot and heavy. He was after me. Um, And 
I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't kind of have a context for what Christianity even looked like. And so I joke, but it's not really a joke that pretty much anytime the church was open, I was there. Um, It was the only place that I felt not judged and I felt accepted and I felt joy Okay. because outside of the church doors, there was none of that in my life. Um, so slowly just, uh, worked through that. And I believe I moved back home about three months later, four months, three or four months later, I moved back home. Um, and things weren't perfect, but they were completely different. Right. So we were attending church as a family and we were, um, both of us did the step study at church and kind of cleaned up our own junk. And, um, I was trying to live in a different way. And I can see now that Josh was not trying as hard as I was, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was better at home. It wasn't great, but it was much better. No, I, I agree with that. I think I was the king of the white knuckler okay. back in that mm-hmm. point. Yes. Like on the outside, it really looked like I had had some significant heart change. And there was, don't get me wrong, yeah. there was. Um, there was not to the extent of what she had experienced. And I also, there was just a lot of stuff I wasn't ready to surrender to the Lord. You yeah. know, I, I I can't put my thumb on specifics of what that was at, the, at this point, but I just know that I had, I still had my sin and I, I've got control of that, yeah. and and you never have control of it. It has control of you. It's just dependent upon timing when it's going to really expose itself. So as far as my relationship with the Lord, on the uh, surface, it looked great. In fact, we got to the point to where we were elite. We went through steps. Within a year, we went from starting, no, two years. Two years. Within two years, so two years after the first day we showed up there, we had gone through steps, been there every Wednesday that the doors were open, and even some when they weren't because we forgot that they weren't doing it on Wednesday (laughs) night. And um, we were leading groups where you were leading women's... Addictions. Addiction, and I was leading, help lead men's marriage. And and then we were actually rolling off a like a military men's group. And so I was kind of... um, heading that up myself and looking back on it, I was wanting to lead a group so that no one would continue to ask me the hard questions. I could set the tone for the questions being asked because in the, in my other life where I'm white knuckling, um, I had started to slip back into old sin patterns. I was back to going to the bars after work and I was back to not wanting to be home. Um, and this happened again. Our son had been born. Yeah, that's so what I was going to say. I had an infant at home again. The pattern yeah. had had emerged again that, oh, there's an infant at home and Josh doesn't want to be here. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, that. that's kind of where we were at in our stage. But if you saw me at church, you would think, oh, that's my group leader. Yeah. And, you know, man, their story's amazing. Yeah. And would you, Dumb, would you describe, like, this season is this the season mm-hmm. in which you're like, oh no, I'm a Christian now. Like I'm, I've given mm-hmm. my heart to the Lord. Like I'm. This is not just Jesus and some stories. This is like I have a relationship now with yeah, Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I had fully surrendered to the Lord. I was in love with Jesus, yeah. and I was just happy Josh wasn't the way he used to be. Okay. 
So I was kind of blinded by that. I couldn't see that he wasn't there yet. Yeah. He was just better than he used to be. Yeah. Um, and now we had a home group and kind of, I had some other social inputs. He wasn't like my whole world anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do believe that that affair plus our children being born to me, like that's where Jesus came into my yeah. life. That's where he became real to me. Yeah. Hey, this episode of The Overcomers has been sponsored by the Acts 29 Church Planning Network with an invitation to our 2024 Next Conference here in April in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be speaking alongside of a, a stellar lineup. You're like, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, we've got Brian Loritz and Sam Alberry, John Piper, and more. Uh, and the hope of the Next Conference is really what we're trying to do is equip and encourage you as church planters and church leaders, really regardless of the type of church or type of ministry that you're in. And I would love to see you there. To learn more about this and to register for Next, you can just go to acts29.com backslash next. And if you're an Overcomer listeners, you're gonna have a, a special discount, like $20 off registration if you use the code Overcomers. And so you can apply this discount to the early bird prices before December 31st, or the regular rates that start in 2024. That's axe29.com slash next. Look forward to seeing you there. So um, the home group had been a real change for us because that was community that was a community of believers. Yeah. We, you know, we talked about the first... Um, first few minutes where we were talking about not having that support. Um, now we kind of did. You know, we had people that were doing life. Some were younger, some were older, um, but they were all doing the kind of same life we were, and they were all trying to be better parents, be better Christians, um, and we were really plugged in at that point. So we were literally in a home group. We're doing. We're leading <laughs> recovery. We're, we're at every encounter. We're there on Sundays. Well, back then it was Saturdays, um, and so. Um, yeah, we were really, I could see a huge change in her too. Um, I knew that she had been, um, she had been changed much for the better. There was still, um, I'm still not perfect. (laughs) There was still probably control. I think was probably still an idol at, at that point for you as far as like our marriage wanting to, um, she wanted to be the leader in the home, I guess. Yeah. And so um, that conflicts with me, you know, like that's not what I felt like my call. That's that's yeah. not how this works. And so there was still, uh, you know, it wasn't perfect by any means, but I think we were we were much better than yeah. before that. So again, I thought things were fine. Yeah. Um, and we uh, were a few years removed from the affair and he went out of town. I can't remember if we were hunting or a work trip. Work trip. Work trip. He went out of town for a work trip, which was fairly common. Uh, And he came home and he was kind of withdrawn once he got home. I'm kind of nudging him. Are you okay? What's going on? I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. And then just kind of out of nowhere that afternoon, he said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And I was like, what happened? Um, And he wouldn't admit to the affair right then, um, but there was another affair going on. And um, 
So I think I was in shock, for sure, for sure in shock, but it felt different than the first time. The first time I felt like I fell in a black hole and there was no bottom. Yeah. This second time I felt like I hit the ground real hard, but there was people down there with me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't remember if I asked you to leave or if you left. Some Somehow I was home alone with the kids and immediately called my support group, right? I called my home group leader. I called the women that I knew and loved and they just rallied around me from, from yeah, minute did. one, from minute one. Yeah, I think they were at our house probably before I got out of town. Um, sure. And I, I, I think that I just wanted to be out of the house at that point. I was like, okay, you know, and there had definitely been enough change in my in in who I was at that point. I I'd fallen back into my sin, but I was not going to. Um, I wasn't like trying to kick you out of the house. I was like, I'm leaving. This is your house. This is where you stay. Um, I need to figure this out. Yeah. And I didn't know really what I wanted at that point, but I was in a very very bad place and. Think that couple, like that darkest moments of my life, were the next probably. I don't know what two months, maybe. I lived out of my company truck for part of that time. Um, I would pull into parking lots and sleep, and um, man, I had no money. I was given all my money was paying our bills still. Yeah. Um, I was just depressed, um, drinking when I could afford to drink. Um, and I was just miserable. And all this time, there's a couple of guys from my home group and <laughs> other places like, and her sending me like Bible verses every sure. day. Yeah, they are. And uh, He literally responded, please stop sending me Bible verses. I bet I you was did. like, no. I get a text. Um, from Brian Smith yeah. at the church says, Hey, Good man. we need to meet. And I'm like, no, uh-uh, not happening. And, uh, he's like, yeah, no, we need to meet. And why I went to this meeting, I still do not know. Because the Lord loves you, Josh Jordan. That's why you <sighs> I mean... You didn't even know it at the time. I knew that Jason Holloman and him were going to be waiting on me in the office there at the church. And so I showed up by myself, walked upstairs. Uh, they greet me. Hey, come on in. And so um, Jason sets me down. And he's like, yeah, man, um, yeah, like we know what's going on. You need to pull your phone out right now. And whoever this woman is that you've been having an, another relationship with, you need to tell her that you can never talk to her again. You need to delete her out of your phone as soon as you do that. And you need to start figuring out your relationship with the Lord. I was like, I don't want to do any of that right this yeah. minute. Like, I, I'll be honest, I'm, no. And he was like, no. And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, great. Can we pray for you? And I'm like, gosh, sure. And so I remember him praying specifically for me that my sin would overtake my life and to give me away to my sin. And it was just this prayer that I was like, I don't, I've never been prayed for like this for sure before. <laughs> um, man, okay. And so then I remember walking through the foyer and looking over at Kids Village and just kind of looking around and being like, 
I said, why you would even say this out? I was like, I will never be in this building again. Like, I'll never step foot in here again. And it was weird to me, right? Like, I had spent the last two years, yeah. five days a week in that four-year. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, next two months, I just kind of did. I I just let my sin over overcome me and overtake me, and it just spiraled me out of control. Um to the point to where, you know, I, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I knew I was wrong. I knew that this was not what I intended with my life. And um, I'm here again. You know, what 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 now? And so yeah, we had gotten to a point where we were going to put the house. We were like, okay, well, this is going to get finalized here pretty soon. We'd filed for divorce. You had. Yeah, I filed for divorce. Um, I wanted reconciliation. Yeah. The entire time I was meeting with church elders, I was walking with staff, I was, we were praying that Josh would turn around. Absolutely. Um, but I was given wisdom that I needed to file for divorce to protect myself and my kids, um, especially after the first go round, how nasty things got. Yeah. And so I did. I filed for divorce, even telling the attorney, like, okay, but I don't actually want to go through with yeah. this, right? Not like, let's not rush this thing. I'm not trying to get divorced. Um, and I was okay. I mean, I wasn't great, right? Um, but I think the biggest difference this time was that my identity wasn't Josh's wife. Yeah. My identity was, I'm a daughter of Christ. And... The whole world was kind of spinning around me and so many things were out of my control. But the fact that I was loved and cared for and that everything was going to be okay was just constant. Yeah. And so it was painful to watch him, I mean, kill himself. That's yeah. that's the road he was on. He was killing himself. Um, and so that was painful. But I will say... He was not ugly to me this time around. I mean, he kind of disappeared, but um, he wasn't ever intentionally hurtful. I mean, even once I filed divorce papers, he basically told my attorney, she can have everything. Yeah. She can. I'm not going to fight. Whatever you guys want, you can have. And um, it was just a different version of yeah. him. Um, so I can see what he means by he... Uh, he knew he was wrong because yeah. he wasn't. He wasn't trying to stand on the hill this time. He was just kind of rolling over and saying, "I'm, I'm done here." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was um, killing myself, but also I was about to lose everything because I, I, I'm about to give away my my house, my wife, my children, and I'm going to lose my job because I can't hold it together. I'm sleeping in the parking lot and everyone at work is like, are you okay? Yeah. You're not okay. Um, and my boss, luckily my boss at that point in time had been through a divorce, a really, really rough divorce. And I just reached out to him. I was like, dude, this is what's going on. And he goes, I will cover you on anything you need to be covered on. Come on. You just be at work when you can be at work. So we get ready to put the house on the market so that we can both have a little bit of money and try to split ways. And I got a, the, the realtor we got, we didn't even really know this guy. He just came from the area where we were at. And I remember we were sitting there at the table. Um, meanwhile, all the relationships that I had bailed on my marriage for had uh, gone with the wind already. Yeah. This is two months later. And um, 
I'm not speaking to these people at this point. And so I'm like, okay. Um, you know, we're sitting there at the table, and I don't remember if he, we're getting ready to sign all the paperwork, and he left or something. Then he kind of walked out. I was like, I'll be right back or something. And, and we're sitting there, and we're just kind of, I'm thinking in my mind, like, Lord, I, I wanted my whole life to be a husband yeah. and a father and to own a home and to live this life. Like, this is what I've thought about since I was a child. Yeah. Why am I willing to just throw it away? And we we kind of sat at the table, and I think we we both felt that. Like, this is what we want. Why are we not... Why am I not able to control myself enough to get across the finish line here? Yeah. And, of course, in my mind, too, I'm thinking, this is the second time this has happened. Yeah. There is no way. In my mind, it was easier to to divorce and start a new relationship and be better in that relationship than it was to ever repair this one. Yeah. And that was what everyone that I ever talked to with a worldly point of view and perspective on this would have said. Yeah. You would be better off to go on down the road. And then, well, and me too. I had yeah. well-intentioned people, you know, telling sure, me. Sure. Uh, I had a woman sit across from me in recovery as I'm sitting in recovery. She's there hurting too, and she said, "Oh, I'd forgive my husband once, but I'd never forgive him twice." Sure. Before I even opened my mouth, right? And I'm like, "Oh, yeah. Am I stupid? Am I making well, then a let mistake?" Let me not finish what I was saying. Yeah. Never mind. Why am I here? Right? And yeah, I think at some point I adopted the perspective that the Lord would tell me when I needed to give up and I wasn't there yet. Um, But I'm sure from the outside, it looked really foolish, right? Like why she just keep putting up with this or yeah, yeah, I think um, for sure friends that I had that were not Christian decided not to be my friend anymore after taking him back the second time. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that day at the table with the realtor was very pivotal as far as our communication with one another. I think we both verbally and non-verbally communicated that day that that selling the home and splitting our family was not what either of us wanted, but I still had no idea how to get a get there right like okay well then what do you want and how do we achieve that and so um i started reaching back out to some of the guys that i had talked with the home group guys and stuff like that and um i wanted to i wanted to talk with them and i think they were on the verge of being done talking to me yeah um luckily there was still a few of them that were willing to have some discussions and then um you know, one day I'm at work and I just and I, I just started praying like, Lord, I, I don't know, I don't know what to pray anymore at this point. I don't want to be like this. I don't want this to be my life. I don't want the marker of my life to be a divorced family like I grew up in. Yeah. Um somebody has got to break the chain in this family, and I want it to be me. And um 
you know, I, I think that I just communicated to her that that was going to be my prayer, that I was going to start praying that the Lord could heal me and heal her, and that if it worked, that it great. If it didn't, then at least I would restore my relationship with Him because I had not been following Him. Yeah. And um, real soon after that, I got paired with a elder from the church mm-hmm. um, to start having weekly meetings with. And so you know about how these meetings go. This used to be over at the Roots Coffee yep. Shop. and um, It was like the troublemakers group well, it was, <laughs> for men. It was a very small room <laughs> to yeah. talk about some very personal stuff, yeah. right? And so... We do that in better places now. This was a different day. <laughs> I, You know, it was probably the best thing for me because sure. there was no, you know, for a lot of, for a lot of years I wanted to pretend like I was something I wasn't. Yeah. And in that room when people hear your junk, you can't pretend nope. about anything. Um, now, you know, and, and so I remember our, one of our first conversations, you know, um, he started to talk to me and he was just like, you know, Give me the give me the rundown. Like, where are you at in your life? And I had no idea the life that this man had lived or his experience. And I just see him as like a docile old man at this point. Like he's yeah, gonna be, uh, <laughs> he's going to be terrified by what I tell him and mm-hmm. all these things. And and he knew a little about me. And he was like, you know, I know you were in the military, and uh, um, you know, I know you've been spent a lot of years overseas, and. It kind of felt like he was trying to fluff my ego in the moment. Like, where are you going with this, man? Like, what yeah. what are we talking about? And then I remember him saying, um, "You know, uh, when you when you join the military, you swear an oath to defend the country against what?" And I was like, "Well, enemies, foreign and domestic. You know, like, I know the yeah. I know the oath, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And he goes, "Also, when you get married, you swear an oath." to your wife and yeah. to your children, right? And to your and to God that you are going to um hold true to that covenant. And he goes, and that one, Josh, is way more important than the one that you even swear to the country. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. So this is not he's not trying to flatter me here. And then he said, uh, do you know who Bo Bergdahl is? And at that point it was huge in the news. Bo Bergdahl was a deserter uh, who had left his unit in Afghanistan and basically joined the Afghans and was running amok in the country and mm-hmm. had given up on his country and and basically being in the military. And so um, I was like, yeah, I mean, everyone who ever served knows who Bo Bur- Bergdahl is. And he's like, you're essentially the Bo Bergdahl of marriage. I was like, I can take this old man. You know, he's not as tough as he thinks he is. Um no, it just, it was like that sharp knife, yeah. man, like, ouch, you're right. Um, man, and and you don't want to be known as the Bo Bergdahl of marriage, right? And no. so uh, I remember him telling me a lot of times, he's like, what do you want out of this? What do you want? I want my marriage back. He's like, can't promise that. What do you want out of this? I was like, I, yeah, I don't know. I just want my house back and can't promise that. What do you want? And so eventually the only thing that he would answer yes to is that I could be forgiven by God for all of the sin that I had sinned against him. That was the only thing that was an option at the point. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, I remember one, she sent me one that was 
and and I don't know if you'll even remember this, but th- there was a reference in there about being in the water. Like in the water, if you're ankle deep in the water, you can maneuver and you can get out of the water very easily, right? Well, like gradually you end up deeper into the water and you become less mobile and less able to get yourself out of the water. And the only way to really quickly get out of neck deep water is to be pulled up out of the water, right? Mm-hmm. And so... um it's just an analogy that stuck with me that I was like, yeah, but who's going to pull me up out of the water? Jesus. Yeah. That's who's going to pull you out, but you're going to have to reach up and ask yeah. for help. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that. It kind of gave me hope again, right? Like, okay, maybe another marriage is not easier. Maybe yeah. there is hope here. Yeah, well, and I would say that first month or so, there was some back and forth, right? He wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm back in this. Here we go. It was like, okay, I want to come home. I think I can do this. And then the next day, he's talking to a different woman on the phone. You know, so it was was a lot of back and forth. And I think um, that's where the Lord really just met me and taught me patience. Sure. Um, For sure, the only times that I've heard the Lord speak audibly to me have been in those dark days. Sure where um, I can remember pleading with the Lord and saying, you know, he's so dumb and he knows what he has and he still just turns away and like, what's he doing? And I heard the Lord tell me, not in these many words, but like, now you know how I feel? Yeah. You know, and it was like a real eye-opener for me of like, I'm no better than Josh is. My sin is different than his, but I'm no better, you know? And so I think realizing that and being patient with God working on him mm-hmm. um, is what kind of got me through that. But it really, it, it was a short amount of time. I only remember because we met with um, some staff at the church and I said, Josh wants to move back home. And I think I'm comfortable with that. He'll stay in a different room, but he can come back home. And they were like, no, no do not, not let that. him come home. And I was like, what? Oh, is this too fast? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, he's my husband. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but so that's kind of how I realized like it really did move quickly yeah. after Josh surrendered. Yeah. When he just fully surrendered to the Lord, it was almost like a light switch. Yeah. He was all in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the scariest thing about that is I knew even being all in, there was no guarantees, right? Yeah. I, th- I thought you were going to reference the, uh, the in and out being like she was the, I remember us talking about me moving back in and I was like, yeah, you know, I'll just sleep on the couch. So she was like, okay, well, here are some ground rules. And she started hammering through these ground rules. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, okay. Yep. No. Yeah. That was a difference from the first time too. So the second time I had wise counsel around me that said, you know, don't just let him have full access to everything again because yeah. he says he's sorry, right? Like he has to walk the walk, That's not right. just talk the talk. And so um, it was different, but it it kept me safe in a new in a number of ways, yeah. right? And I think it showed his willingness of, okay, I'm going to tell you this list of things you have to do and these rules. Are you willing to do that to fight for your family? Or are you going to say, oh, never mind? Yeah. I thought I was just walking back in here. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, I took those rules like very literally, and I remember I went and met with my home group leader, the the home group leader before I had, I had not been reintroduced into the home group yet. Yeah, 
Um, and it mortified me thinking about going back there. Sure. But the group leader, he was probably, I don't know, eight or nine or 10 years younger than me, significantly younger, but a young family and a great, great Christian leader and knew exactly what to say in the moment that he said it because we sat down for pizza and he's like, so what's going on, man? I heard, I heard you're moving back into the house. And that, yeah, man, I'm going to get rid of this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do, and I had this checklist of things that I'm going to knock out. And he just kind of sat there for a minute and stared blankly at me. And he goes, but how are you going to change your heart? There it is. And I was like, well, I, don't, I don't see that on my list. <laughs> um, and he's like, I mean, that all sounds great, Josh, but you're going to go right back to what you did. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out that portion of it. I was like, wow, this guy's really wise for 28, you know. Um, <laughs> and But nailed it, man. And he, and he had the guts to say it to me when so many other people I feel like in my life outside of the church were not willing to yeah. take the chance of offending me. Mm-hmm. Um. I think I lived in that circle for a long time in my life where I only kept people around who would not push back. Yeah. If you were a pushback, you were out of the circle. Yeah. If you were a yes man and would build me up, great. Keep well, I mean, I, and honestly, I think that's a really good word for any man that's listening to this right now. If they've surrounded themselves with weaklings and sycophants, they've, yes. they've actually put themselves in danger. Um, I know it might feel good and stroke the ego, but you only survive in life in a kind of shield to shield. You're only as strong as those five guys around you. Um, And so you you should surround yourself with men um, who aren't enamored with you, who... um, who are willing to engage you as a brother would engage a brother. Uh, and so one of the things I've always loved about your story is just how frequently the Lord put men around you that were willing mm-hmm. to go, okay, yeah, great, but how about your heart? Like, what, mm-hmm. what are you going to do about your heart? And and so I, I've always loved that about the story. Yeah. yeah. And you were so scared to come back to home group, but what happened the night you came back to home group? Yeah, so uh, it, it was a lot of anxiety for me in that because I didn't know, you know, I had basically just been felt like I just lived a huge lie to them all the way up until the day that I wasn't back at home group. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know these guys that well to know how they would receive me. And so I remember walking in um, thinking, man, like I'm going to be the outcast here. And I remember one of them just walked straight up to me and just gave me a big hug. And he's like, dude, I am so glad Come on. that you're back. And um and it was like that moment, like I wasn't just back from back to home group, right? Like I think he meant it in a bigger way, yeah. like that you're back, like living in some truth here, yeah. not um, not ashamed of of how bad it got, you know, like just okay, that's your story now, but we're gonna we're going to use that story to glorify God. We're not gonna glorify you guys with it. Yeah. That's gonna glorify Him. Yeah, and I think for me that was. There was many moments throughout the reconciliation, but that was one of the moments where it, it felt like Jesus. Yeah. Like seeing that man hug Josh was an image to me of— Like a tangible that's, expression that's of— Jesus yeah. hugging mm-hmm. Josh and accepting him back and loving him and and kind of saying, all that's forgiven. Yeah. You're accepted here. Um, so it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful, like a homecoming 
after that, yeah, we were very, uh, we were slow to move to get back into the home and stuff like that. Um, as far as protecting her, and I was fine with everything she put in place. Um, started meeting regularly, accountability wise, and so I guess a year, about a year after that, probably was when we um, renewed our vows. We did a vow renewal. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Haley actually led that for us. And so I think uh, Jeff and I had the joke that day that, you know, they say um, the first couple of years of marriage are the, the hardest. And I said, I think the first few hours for us may have been the hardest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's right. But so that whole ceremony to me is so much more special than. Uh, the pictures and shows for each other. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, we celebrated 10 years this year um, from the Costa Rica date. But if you were to look at um, our marriage, really began to be a, what God intended marriage to be when we renewed our vows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in front of our home group, and it was a real covenant to one another and to the Lord and to all those in the home group. And I remember just saying like, Hey, you guys are a part of this deal. Yeah. You have to hold them to what they're saying today. And, and, uh, that was just special. So, so one of the things that I always want to create space for at the end of an episode is, um, because I know how this works and and I alluded to it, that like right now, somebody's, jogging on a treadmill or they're out for their morning run or uh, they're in their car on their way to work and their whole world is on fire right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can remember back or harken back to those, the, those emotions of hopelessness or that like what you're describing only works for like, the low percentage of people that it's not going to work for me, that it's not. Um, I, I would love for you to both speak to that person in, in regards to um, if we're thinking about overcoming, if we're thinking about clinging to Jesus in the dark night of the soul, if we're thinking about how do I position myself under the waterfall of God's grace to be sustained through the end of this, this part of my story. Um, what what would you say to them as they're listening to this story? And I'm I'm hopeful that what's going on is that they're thinking, oh my gosh, maybe maybe the Lord in His mercy could do this too. Uh, what what would you say to them? Think think darkest day, lowest point. What would you say to them listening today? You want to start? Sure. Uh, I think I have a unique perspective here because I did this once without the Lord. Yeah. And once with. And so I would just say he's real. Yeah. Like the difference in the way that I suffered without the Lord and the way that I suffered with him night and day. I still suffered. Yeah. It was still really hard. Yeah. But I was never alone. I was never without hope. I was never... Yeah, I was was just never in the dark pit that I was in without him. And so I think that's what I would tell someone. That's, that's what I do tell women when, you know, 
somehow they just keep falling into my lap that are <laughs> these situations somehow, now. Quote unquote, yeah. Um, but that's what I tell them. It's like, yeah. I had to get to the spot that even if my husband left me and I never saw him again, God was enough. Yeah. And I got there and he was, he was enough. Yeah. And I just feel like at this point, whatever comes, yeah. whatever comes, he's enough. And I am so stubborn that it took two times to learn that, I think. But that's what I encourage couples with now is you have to have God before you have your spouse. Yeah. And once you do that, everything else will be okay. Well, be easy. Yeah. I mean, and that was Jeff's conversation with Josh at yeah, Roots or, yeah, now Edison that was like, I can't promise you you're going to get your marriage back. Mm-hmm. I can't promise you you're going to get your house back. I can't promise this little dream you have in your brain of what your life's going to be is going to be that. Here's what I can promise you, that there's a God who loves you. He's, he's going to forgive all your sins, past, present, and future, fully freely and forever. And that's, that's what you can turn to right now. And not to get this, this, and this, but because this is enough, regardless of what else is coming. Yeah. And so that's a good word. And it, it was, it was enough. Um, I think for me, the, what I wish for myself in that situation and what I wish for those who are maybe drifting the same way that I was is I wish I would have been absolutely exposed okay. before um, it led to the second affair. Um, in the moment, it's the most terrifying thing in the world to you. Um, but being free and in the light not having to worry about if someone is going to find out something about you that you don't already know is the best feeling in the planet. Um, Being known, fully known, right? Um, And so I I think if you're, if, if a man's out there that is, that's hiding, that has hidden sin, all of them, right? Um, Confess it, get it out in the open. Um, the absolute worst thing that you can do is sit on it. Um, I don't know how many years I sat in your sermons where you were like, somebody out there, one of you guys, don't hold on to that. Definitely don't go to the grave with it, right? Um, Just know that forgiveness is there. Um, I say now to people, there are things that come up in our marriage now. You know, I was worried that I could never have the marriage I had before, but I was right. I don't. There are things that I would have told her years ago that would have been a knockdown drag out fight that now we're like, Oh, that's unfortunate. How do we get to the other side of that? What can, how can I pray for you in that? What can we do as a couple to, um, so what I would say is that it, it's not easier. Divorce is not easier and it's not better. Um, the Lord doesn't have that for your marriage. Now there are cases, right? Sure. Where, where that is, um, it becomes the only option. Yeah. And I hate that. Um, but fighting for your marriage is worthwhile is what I would say. Yeah. Um, I would not trade any marriage for where mine is at right now. I, I feel um, yeah, just I, it was worth it. Yeah. So if you're listening, one of the things I, I will say all the time at the village um, for Josh's 
um, encouragement to confess and walk in the light is um, to be 99% known actually means you're not known at all. So you hold on to that 1%, then, then you're not known. And here's why that's devastating. Because if, if you're holding on to that 1%, so say you're, you're looking at porn or you're um, chatting with a woman that's not your wife and connecting kind of emotionally or, or letting a man flirt with you that's not your husband because it feels good, that you position yourself in a way that you can no longer receive love from anyone because it's not you anymore. It's 99% of you. And, and so the way the enemy works is he works through accusation um, and, and he works through doubt. And so if you're 99% known and someone tries to love you, well, they don't know the full you, so they can't really love you because they're only loving 99% of you. So now by simply hiding and staying in the dark, you've robbed yourself from the capacity to experience the full grace and love of God. You've robbed yourself from being able to experience love from your spouse, from friends, from you. You have doomed yourself to loneliness by choosing to hide 1%. And now that I've been in ministry for, gosh, close to 30 years, the, the light that the enemy convinces us that if anyone were to ever know this about us, that it would be the end of our lives. And the reality that I can testify almost 100% of the time is that when a person comes clean, clean, like 100% clean, like here's 100% as ugly as I am, that they have been met with the grace of God in such a way that it's transformative in every area of their life. All the horizontal stuff starts to right itself. Now, that doesn't mean there's not consequences. That doesn't mean there's not um, a, a price to pay when you come into the light. So I'm not trying to pray, you know, you'll do this and your wife or husband will like, don't you worry about that. Let me give you a hug. It, it could be a long road back yeah. to trust and, and healing and the kind of, of marriage or even relationships, friendships that, that our hearts are hungry for. But there's no way to experience the full love of God or to receive legitimate love from others, the kind that heal us and make us whole and make us more human if we're in the dark, if we've got secret sin, if we perpetually put on a front and we're more than we are, that it's that imposter syndrome that, that I think just so steals the power of the spirit in the, in, in the lives of his people. And so, man, I'm, I'm just going to take the risk Come step into the light. And if you don't know where to go with that, I'm, you've already heard me say this on a lot of our episodes, find a church that has a recovery ministry. Uh, I know some churches aren't safe. I know there are places that you would say that and it would, there would be trauma on top of trauma. And But if you find a church that has a recovery ministry, they at least have some sort of framework for there's broken people that need the help of the gospel. And, and I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying that's a good place to start. But man, step into the light experience the love that God has for you and really the depth and meaning of relationships that he has for you. But there's no way there if you're holding on to that 1%. And I know even now you're listening to this and, and you just know, you know that 1% would end your life as you know it. And I'm telling you, 100% across 30 years, no, it won't. Now, you you might lose your job, you, you might get a divorce, you might, uh, you know, go broke for a little bit. And I'm just saying 100% of the time, what's on the other side of that 
is so much better than anyone fathoms and thinks. And the enemy is trying to keep it from you. And the Lord's trying to bring it to you. So confess, walk in the light, surround yourself with strength, um, and cry out to the King of Heaven. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Overcomers. God bless you. Hey guys, Pastor Matt, hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Overcomers. You find your heart more encouraged in the Lord, uh, more dedicated to His kingdom. Uh, Just want to remind you, if you found this helpful in in this season of life, this is what I want to do. I want to encourage your heart. I want to lift up your eyes and and let you behold the beauty of Jesus. Uh, And so on top of The Overcomers podcast, uh, also started a website, just pastormattchandler.com. And on my website, there's all sorts of resources, but but you can also um, sign up for a monthly newsletter where I'm just trying to ring from the scriptures um, encouragement for your souls. And so you, there are two different newsletters. There's one for um, just everyday Christians seeking to be faithful where they are. And then there's a there, there's another newsletter uh, for pastors and church leaders. Uh, and so sign up for either one of those or both of those. Uh, but man, look forward to staying in contact with you. God bless you.